Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World, with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. Two recent high-profile Arab events, honoring Indonesia's Nahadatul Ulama, the world's largest and most moderate Muslim civil society movement, highlight a subtle tug-of-war over who will define moderate Islam in the 21st century. At the core of the tug-of-war, is whether Islam in the 21st century will foster religiously and politically pluralistic societies or advocate autocracy. The war pits autocratic, socially more liberal definitions of Islam that assert a religious obligation of absolute obedience to the ruler and are propagated by Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Egypt's Al-Azhar University, the Cairo-based 1,054-year-old citadel of Islamic learning, against Nadatul Ulama's pluralistic concept of Nusantara, or humanitarian Islam, that advocates adherence to human rights. Autocrats' religious moderation is designed to meet economic diversification requirements and cater to youth aspirations for a less publicly restrictive and less ritualistic religious experience while maintaining tight political control. In contrast to the Middle Eastern state's version of religious moderation, Nadatul Ulama's concept stresses religious and political pluralism and the unambiguous endorsement of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. To anchor its concept, Nadatul Ulama argues that Muslim jurisprudence needs reform to remove what the movement calls outdated or obsolete provisions that, among others, would remove notions of supremacy and the caliphate and introduce categories such as a citizen with equal rights and the nation-state. The Middle East-Asian tug-of-war takes on added significance with pressure on Muslim-majority states since the 9-11 al-Qaeda attacks in New York and Washington, the rise of the Islamic State a decade later, and energy-rich Gulf states' efforts to diversify their economies to embrace a vague and undefined notion of moderate Islam. For much of the last decade, autocrats chose to ignore Nahdlatul Ulama, the potentially most potent challenger to their moderate, politically restrictive interpretation of the faith. In 2018, Muhammad al-Issa, Secretary General of the Muslim World, dismissed the suggestion by an American interlocutor that he meet Nadatul Ulama leader Yahya Cholil Stakuf in Mecca. The League is Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's main vehicle to project the kingdom as religiously moderate and tolerant. As for the Indonesian Imam Pak Yahya, I have never heard of him before. I regret to inform you that it would be difficult for me to meet with Pak Yahya due to an extremely previous busy schedule of meetings with international Islamic personalities, Mr. Al-Issa said. The cleric standoffishness stemmed as much from refusing to acknowledge Nadatul Ulama's challenge as from an ingrained perception 
that Arabs hailing from Islam's cradle were real Muslims, unlike syncretic forms of the faith, like those prevalent in Indonesia. It's religious racism, said Azumardi Azra, an Islamic scholar. Since then, the League and the UAE have realized that ignoring Nadatul Ulama with its 90 million followers in the world's largest Muslim-majority state and democracy, a political party represented in President Joko Widodo's government, a religious authority of its own, access to the world's corridors of power, a widespread educational infrastructure, and a five million strong militia would not neutralize the challenge posed by the group. As a result, to counter the threat, the League and the UAE opted to engage with Nahadatul Ulama in a bid to co-opt it, while at the same time competing with the group through the organization of rival events and exerting influence in the world's corridors of power. Mr. Alisa secured a win when in 2022 the League co-hosted with Nadatul Ulama the Religion Forum 20, a summit of religious leaders in Bali on the eve of the Indonesia-chaired Group of 20 gathering of the heads of the world's largest economies. The League basked in the spotlight as a non-government promoter of interfaith dialogue and tolerance although it is a wholly government-controlled organization. Even so, the League had hardly any visible impact on the forum's proceedings, much of which adhered to Nadatul Ulama's agenda, that is, anathema to Mr. Al-Issa's ambitions and those of his political master. That has not stopped autocrats from attempting to co-opt Nadatul Ulama, with little, if any, visible success. Nadatul Ulama officials insist that engagement with their rivals does not come at the price of compromising on principles. On the contrary, they argue, gestures like awarding the group a prestigious Emirati prize in February and Al-Azhar's earlier honoring of Nadatul Ulama's beloved and legendary Al-Azhar-educated leader, Abdurrahman Wahid, Indonesia's first post-dictatorship democratically elected president, enhanced Nadatul Ulama's prestige in the Middle East and beyond. I would like to take this opportunity to invite people of goodwill of every faith and nation to join us in building a global movement to foster the emergence of a truly just and harmonious world order, founded upon respect for the equal rights and dignity of every human being. Mr. Sarkouf said, as he accepted the Zayed Award for Human Fraternity. Mr. Sarkouf was referring to a grassroots movement for shared civilizational values that Nadatul Ulama, through its Center for Shared Civilizational Values, hopes to inspire. The movement's envisioned values extend beyond the advocacy of lofty principles the UAE professes to embrace. Alongside Nadatul Ulama, the award was also awarded to Mohammediyah, Indonesia's second largest Muslim civil society movement, cardiac surgeon Mandi Yaqub, and Sister Nelly Leon Korea, who supports women in prison. Days earlier, Al-Azhar honored the life and legacy of Mr. Wahid, 
who inspired humanitarian Islam and the notion of shared civilizational values. Even though senior Al-Azhar figures attending Nadatul Ulama conferences in recent years refrained from endorsing, if not rejected, some of the group's key initiatives, such as a call for the abolishment of the concept of a caliphate. Unlike Al-Azhar luminaries that declined invitations to discuss the caliphate's fate, at a conference in Surabaya, Mr. Al-Issa, the head of the Muslim World League, chose to ignore Naratul Ulama's proposition in his remarks on video after canceling his attendance. Given Saudi practice, Mr. Al-Issa had good reason to ignore Naratul Ulama's initiatives to reform Islamic jurisprudence to ensure it upholds human rights and mitigates against discrimination irrespective of ethnicity, creed, or belief. The Saudi religious tradition is very sectarian. It refuses to recognize other Muslims. They are regarded as outside true Islam and should be Islamicized. The Shiites, like others, were not regarded as true Muslims theologically, said Saudi scholar and dissident Madawi al-Rashid. The war in Yemen exposed that Saudi Arabia cannot get rid of its religious nationalism altogether. It cannot get rid of the sectarianism of its religious nationalist narrative that excluded other Muslims who did not subscribe to the Wahhabi tradition, Mrs. Al-Rashid added. She noted that Mr. bin Salman invited the kingdom's religious scholars to visit the Saudi border to inspire Saudi troops by advising them that they were waging jihad against the Rafida, a derogatory, ultra-conservative Sunni Muslim reference to Shiites, whom Saudi conservatives view as heretics. Yemen's Houthi rebels are Zaidis, a Shiite Muslim sect. In February, authorities arrested 10 soccer fans and summoned 150 other supporters of Saudi First Division Club Al-Safa FC for chanting Shiite Muslim slogans and songs during a match against Al-Bukhariya in the city of Safwa in the kingdom's Shiite-majority eastern province. Saudi authorities asserted that fans' chants were sectarian. The sports ministry dissolved Al-Safa's board immediately after the incident for failing to adhere to the kingdom's laws and regulations. In addition, the Saudi Football Federation's Disciplinary and Ethics Committee ordered Al-Safa to pay a $53,000 fine. The committee asserted that the fans had chanted slogans and songs that violated the provisions of the disciplinary and ethics regulations. Speaking before the latest soccer incident, Mrs. Madawi noted that Mr. bin Salman's brand of Saudi nationalism that emphasizes a Saudi rather than an Arab or Muslim national identity has reinforced, not replaced, religious minorities and regional sub-identities. It generates a reaction, namely a revival of sub-identities, particularly among groups who feel they have been excluded from Mr. bin Salman's effort to recast Saudi identity, Mrs. Al-Rashid said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, 
I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you, take care, and best wishes. Thank you.